What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and welcome to 78 of this show presented by Ping Pong Payments. Quickly about Ping Pong, we provide marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with Ping Pong enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform to increase their operational efficiencies. If you want to learn more, go ahead and check out that link below in the uh, comments or the show notes. Uh, to learn more about ping pong and how they can help your Amazon business save money. Uh, But thank you again for everyone who is joining us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We appreciate it. Or if you're listening to us via download on Amazon Music, Apple, uh, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, truly anywhere where you can listen to a podcast, that's where I will be. Go ahead and just search Crossover Commerce and you will find us there. Uh, But do me a favor and like, follow, and share this episode to all of your network because this is going to be a high uh, value episode where we're going to be sharing knowledge and insights in the Amazon and e-commerce community. We want to make sure that everyone is aware of the nuggets we're going to be dropping today. But because I go live so much, I go live about four to five times per week. We want to make sure that everyone gets to understand that when we're talking about a topic that they're interested in, they get that opportunity to find us. So again, because this is episode 78, 77 other times we've had other great leaders in the space jump on and share their insights. So you don't want to miss an episode, but because this is live as well, if you have questions for myself or my guest today, go ahead and write a question in the comments section below. And make sure that you uh, either tag us later if you're watching this later, and we'll be able to catch that either live or at a uh, at a later time as well. Um, but about our guest today, I want to go ahead and just dive right in because I'm really excited about them. Uh, Yael is a uh, owns the law firm Cabell and Company, and uh, is one of the global leading e-commerce attorneys licensed in New York and Israel. She and her team represent thousands of Amazon sellers in all legal issues, including listing account suppressions intellectual property enforcement, e-commerce transactions, and IP registration. And Mikhail is a lawyer, manager, and over 23 years of experience, uh, had senior positions in international leading companies and brands, and including uh, including VP of Business Development and General Counsel. And she has managed and led various transactions and projects, including M&As, JVs, public offerings in U.S. and Israel. And together... They both formed Fortunate, which is has been representing thousands of Amazon sellers on a variety of legal matters and are well-known in the Amazon community over the last few years. They're fa- they are the founders and have been many years of experience managing and leading international transactions, again, as well, ranging anywhere from $500,000 to $60 million. They work closely with different buyers, including e-commerce companies, private equity firms, VCs, and private investors. I would like to sincerely warm, uh, warmly welcome both Yael and Mikhail from Fortunate. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining us on Crossover Commerce. Thank Hi. you. <laughs> Look at that. See, I, I said the name right, and I, I'm kind of. I, I hopefully like it came through. But I'm super <laughs> excited to have you you all on uh, today. I've 
I feel fortunate because I don't think you've both been on the same either podcast or you separately will jump on, but I don't think I've seen a video out there that's had both of you on here. So I feel like I'm leading the way here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to disappoint you, but there were a few. <laughs> I, was like, I, I searched for it and I was like, man, I might have both of them on for the first time in history, but no, that's that's perfectly <laughs> fine. But, but, uh, <laughs> that we invest our efforts um, mutually only when uh, it really pays off. <laughs> well, it, it's almost like a conquer and divide, right? Like you, you only have so much that one person can say, but you're both co co partners. You co founded this amazing business that's just taking off like a, a rocket ship. So maybe one of you, if you can kind of jump in, and uh, if people have questions, obviously make sure that you put in the comments section below about either one of them. But how did how did you guys like me? Like what what's that background leading up to where we are today? Um, I'll start. Yeah, go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, so we met. Uh, Michal was actually one of uh, of my clients. I uh, was helping her with intellectual property when she uh, was uh, leading the business development in a large international company. Um, and this is where we met in 2013. We knew we would do something together. Um, and um, and then I started my own firm around uh, Amazon and uh, helping uh, sellers, just like you mentioned earlier. And in 2018, um, we, we realized that, uh, I mean, they, there, there was a need for an investment bank in in our uh, e-commerce space. Uh, a lot of sellers uh, wanted to to sell their business back in 2018 and even 17. It started already, um, and and we wanted to form uh, a company that really helps only the seller side and that advises the client uh, from really the moment the the you know the seller plans an exit and thinks about an exit uh, through all the process until they uh, they complete uh, the the sale. Um, so Michal and I started Fortunate together um, and uh, with another a third partner that's uh, an ex Amazon seller. Uh, he sold this nice. business through us and then joined us. He's also a CPA originally. Um, and uh, and since then we've been dealing with uh, with deals of uh, medium and and large uh, businesses. Um, our goal is uh, is again to so brokering the deal is just a part of it. The main goal of the company is kind of uh, maximizing the value of of that exit. So you have it's a one time thing. Sometimes a seller does it twice or three times, but uh, it's it's a lifetime event. Um, and we wanted to make sure that it's it's done correctly, and we created an entire uh, process to make sure that uh, the numbers are are maximized. Um, do you want to maybe add uh, Michal to that? No, I think that you describe it perfectly. Maybe just to add that today we are we're a team of around uh, sixteen uh, people and growing. Um, and maybe we'll discuss later what is our contribution, and then. Uh, it will be more uh, clear what uh, what each uh, on our team uh, is, is doing for the sellers. Right. So both of you started this back in 2017 and 18, and right. I, I keep telling people, you know, buying your your biggest asset, Amazon, your Amazon brand, if you will, has become really popular in 2020 and 2021. So what what has been like that transformation with almost like a, a one-off, like almost the hidden side of Amazon? Now it's a there's $2 billion plus in the space there. You have people throwing money around left and right. There's all these different 
you know, acquisitions, these, these companies that are out there, like, I mean, you, you can name them, list them off, uh, all over the place. What's it been like to see that transformation from beginning when you guys joined, uh, started this company now to where it is to even today? So when we started the company, it was clear to us that uh, there is an, an M&A uh, trend, the mergers and acquisition trend in this industry, uh, and that it will grow. It was obvious because we, first of all, we saw the, the first transaction uh, taking place, and also because we realized that there are great businesses out there uh, with huge uh, growth potential, and that uh, the space is, uh, is diversified uh and uh and it only made sense that that there will be companies that will acquire those, those businesses you know we we started our first steps i think uh more or less uh, uh or just a bit after the first aggregators got into the play um so i think that we 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 noticed this opportunity like them but from a different direction um, so we, we started the business, we had uh, clients, uh, you know, starting uh, as, as of the first day that we, are, we were on, on the field, uh, not in the same, of course, uh, magnitude and number as, as today, but, uh, but still. And, um, and actually, the, it was obvious for us that we are going to grow the business uh, dramatically. We couldn't, of course, anticipate the COVID-19 which brought uh, with it, uh, a, you know, additional huge uh, penetration of the e-commerce in general and Amazon um, specifically. Uh, so it shortened for us uh, at the time, you know, it squeezed potentially, I don't know, I, I can only cite other, quote others that, uh, that estimated to it to be something, uh, development that's worth 10 years of a development into a few months. So probably this is what happened to us as well. Um, the same needs, as Yale already mentioned, the same needs of an Amazon sellers when they sell their business existed then as they exist today. Uh, you know, uh, an uneducated uh, Amazon seller, uneducated on, any, on anything which is related to the sale of the business only because these are highly skillful uh, people but uh, with no experience in, in selling their business. So the fact that these uh, these first uh, first time players meet uh, highly experienced players, which are the buyers, um, this was the reason for the formation of uh, Fortunate. Uh, we it was obvious for us that this um, difference in in uh, in strength and capabilities and experience must be balanced, and this is our role in in the game. So, so, it's, so has 20, so 2020 been a good thing or a bad thing for mergers and acquisitions? Excellent. 2020, 2019, 2019 was a very nice year. 2020 was an amazing year. 2021 probably will be even uh, much, uh, much more uh, successful. Uh, the opportunities are growing, more buyers, more sellers uh more uh, you, you know amazon business as a as a as a as an acquisition target became became something which is more in the mainstream you don't need to explain anymore why this is a business that some someone would want to buy it's uh i think that this becomes a common knowledge and with that more and more inv investors are getting into into the playground and uh, and gradually more traditional investors and, and players 
uh, are, are entering the, this game as well. Interesting. So, so uh, people keep seeing multiples like increase over time. What, what is your suggestion? And, and just to be clear for everyone who's listening or watching this live, Fortunate is not operating these businesses. It's almost like a you're you're facilitating the acquisitions, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, what is it that Fortunate sees as in terms of like as multiples continue to increase and people are seeing these numbers like almost ungodly numbers, kind of for like you said, six five hundred thousand dollars to sixty million dollars for someone's brand. Now there's lots of assets that and reasons why a $60 million payday might come your way. What are you educating people from day one of this is where they see value and this is where an aggregator is going to see value. This is what you can expect from that in realistic expectations of this is your brand and you fall somewhere in between that $500,000 and $60 million or even more. Where does that education happen? And are you like resetting expectations or are you like crushing dreams or what, what is that? Like people are like, I'm going to get hundred million dollars for my business. And you're like, actually it's really this. Is that, is that what more it is nowadays? No, we're uh, actually, we're surprising ourselves every, every new deal that, you know, we, we deal with lately We're uh, Michal and I we were discussing that we're not only beating our record, but we feel we're, uh, influencing the the industry with every deal that you do uh the multiples have gone up they're going up every transaction that we do they keep going up uh we obviously nobody we don't have a crystal ball we don't know if it's going to stay and and keep growing or uh or you know for we're uh we are at the top but uh but generally speaking when we start the process we always tell our clients um, you know what you're worth only once you went uh, through the process. Um, and the process for us means um, a kind of uh, three-step thing. Uh, one is to make sure that your numbers are maximized. So there's a way to present your, your P&L, for example. Um, you, uh, you can adjust. Uh, sometimes there are adjustments that can be done. So a client that has been... Uh, has been using air freight the entire year, um, and uh, and you know, and we realized that the buyer wouldn't have used air freight, right? Uh, so two hundred k in those expenses uh, was the difference. So we w we will argue that uh, that this should be added back, and two hundred k can be five x, you know, can be a million dollar. So first of all, you want to get ready and prepare uh, the the numbers accurately. And then you want to present the business in the best way you can, which means a thorough presentation about the business. And the third part is to do an auction. And that's where um, the valuation comes in. You know, we, we never know the real value of the business until we do the entire uh, circle and we make sure we tap the entire market and all the buyers have seen the business. Uh, and what we usually see is that, you know, they bid, and then they're, they're, most of them bid similarly. And then obviously very often there's one that bids, you know, for, for that buyer, for that one buyer is just worth much more than the others. Um, so we're looking for that particular uh, buyer. And, uh, and once you've done this process, you know the value of your business. Um, if you've seen one, maybe you're leaving 
you know, a lot of money on the table. Uh, so that's the way to evaluate. So we can tell our clients, you know, when we start the process, listen, based on the last deals, you know, this could be a six X multiple or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but, but the real value is only once, uh, you, you've, you've done this process. Is there, is there a certain business or I should say category that's more valuable than others that you've seen in your expertise? Um, it's interesting. We, so there are categories that are just not, not popular, uh, like, um, um, electronics, for example, some, so mainly the buyers are looking for kind of evergreen products that they don't have to change every month or every year or whatever. So any fashion product could be difficult for some of the buyers. Uh, I'm just speaking generally, of course, there are buyers for textile, there, is, there are buyers for any type of products, but generally speaking, the great majority are looking for products that uh, don't have to be changed or uh, updated. So electronics is difficult sometimes, is, I guess, is more difficult than, than other categories. Uh, what's also less popular, uh, so as I said, fashion, uh, supplemental, Yes, I mean, supplements, sorry, supplements are, uh, uh, some of them love them and some of them hate them. They're very controversial, I say, I'd say. Um, so these are the, the categories that, you know, some exclude like food um, and things like that. Uh, but the, all the others are, uh, are very relevant, I guess, equally. Right. So what, what is it that a per, like a, an aggregator in this sense, what are they going to be looking? So you said evergreen, they don't have to change it consistently. Is there an opportunity or a gap that they look for, whether it's in logistics or sales numbers that they just haven't re, uh, reached yet? Is there like, how do they see that opportunity that they know for a fact that they can either, you know, grow it two times, three times, whatever that might be. What are the places that they're looking at? Is it just, where that brand exists, the logistics and, you know, manufacturing. Can you guys give some insight or can you ladies give some insight into what they're looking for on that end? So we, I think that we see different approaches among, uh, among different buyers around that. Uh, there will be buyers that, uh, that will look on, uh, on a healthy cash flow um, that is sustainable, no matter where it comes from. Um, others that are looking um, for brands that are more concentrated around a certain idea uh, that can be developed much more uh, around this around the same story. Um, each buyer is looking to get the comfort and the potential future growth of the of the business in different ways. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe many buyers like to see uh, low hanging fruits, simple simple actions that can be made in order to, in order to improve the, the business and then uh, grasp a quick, uh, quick win. Um, uh, like entering uh, other uh, markets, if you see you know, a business with great reviews on just on Amazon US and then you can enter easily additional markets um, on Amazon using the same reviews, then this is something that is perceived an easy, uh, quick win. Uh, but at the same time, we see more and more, uh, and, and here we are referring, by the way, just uh, to those uh, roll-up uh, roll right. guys. There's uh, more than just roll-up companies, exactly. exactly. But the, the roll-up guys, they, they, they will look usually on not too many SKUs, 
business well performed, well well established, easy, relatively easy to run, solid uh, sourcing and and supply chain. Um, this is um, and and then comes those uh, different aggregators that are looking to buy certain size of business. So a larger size, a larger business worth more than a, than a smaller business. Different considerations to everyone. But as the time goes by, we see, we see more and more, more and more potential buyers, and more uh, different considerations that lead each of them to to, to the decision what to, what to buy. Is it common? Is it common? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to add, it, it's interesting to see when we're discussing this with our clients, um, that a, a lot of them, like we speak with sellers who are concerned because they haven't entered, uh, Europe or they're concerned because they don't have a Shopify, but that's, you know, for a buyer, that's an advantage. These are the, the low hanging fruits that Michal has been discussing. So don't, don't be concerned if you didn't get there, you know, that's, that's an advantage for, uh, for the buyer. Is that something where you would almost tell your client it's you're more apt to be purchased if you're not in all these places? No, or it, no. It, it, it's not negative, right? Or it's not positive no. in that regards. Okay. Everything no. is positive. I, I think that everything can be positive as long as a business shows and and, uh, and can create the comfort of its on, ongoing growth, uh, then whatever is there is positive. I can say that, so of course, a healthy business, that's the um, most important starting point. But in addition to this, uh, I think that a lot of attention to how you sell the business is, should, be, should be put, uh, since this really creates a value. And, and actually, I think that it, it is worthwhile to, um, to create some unique story around the selling of the business. So, we, so in some occasions, for example, we are integrating different businesses in order on, on, on paper just to sell them together and this way to enjoy from the, the multiple which is uh, allocated to, uh, to larger businesses uh, with, you know, with, with integration between them that creates additional value. Um, sometimes we would uh, sell a business based on the future projection that we can build with the seller the idea is to, in each case, to find the right way to make it a unique, uh, a unique story. And actually, a unique story is hidden uh, behind many of those businesses. So you just need to disclose it to, to reveal what is there. Right. And I, and I found the most fascinating thing is as time wears on, all the different ways that you can exit your business in terms of payouts, right? I think there's three major ones, or maybe there's even more now. There's the just cash payout or like buyout, like you get a, a, a check for all the assets, your inventory, everything like that, cut ties and everything is pretty much severed from that capacity. What are the other two that people may not have, be as familiar with? It's a, you're hitting different goals and metrics along the way over the course of a year. I, I, for, I forget the exact phrasing that that might be. Is that a commonality? Yeah. There are Does that make sense? Maybe yeah, I'm not explaining correctly. Different, different structure, uh, structures in place. I, I, I assume that you refer to an earnout, different earnout yes, model. Yes, an earnout. Yes. Stabilization payment, profit share, all kind of inventions and um, and structures that uh, that actually in in the rationale behind them is to somehow balance between the risk that the buyer so called takes with the acquisition of the business 
and uh, more than that the uh, willingness of the buyer to get actually funding from the seller to buy his own business that's the real that's the real thing behind uh, behind those uh, structures uh, and from the seller side uh, th there is the need to to mitigate those uh, structures and find actually better structures that, that create any future potential payment to be uh, certain or as certain as possible mm -hmm. and uh, the structures that we see and that we create and that we with with different buyers uh, which we don't invent of course but we just import them from you know traditional uh, mergers and acquisition uh, uh, transaction in different uh, sectors um, these structures are what, are what uh, those this is what create the difference so make it uh, uh, like a burden on the tree uh, to as uh, some guaranteed payment. Um, so no, no, no deal identical to the other, at least according to what we see. Yeah, I, I always say this is the fun part of, of our job because it's it really identified the unique situation of that particular seller, what that seller wants and, and how we can create a structure around that. There are sellers that are growing tremendously and they don't want a one-time deal and you know, cash out and that's it. They want to remain and enjoy this, uh, the, you know, the, the, the fruits of, of, the, of those seeds, right? That they planted. Right, fruits um, and, of the labor, yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, and some of them were actually want to remain and work in the business. Uh, so, so it really depends on the seller and some of them told us, you know, tell us, I just want out. I just want everything up front and I don't want to hear nothing about any earnout. So I guess, I mean, the more flexible you are in, in the transaction, the, the, it opens up, of course, more uh, opportunities for more buyers and, and more structures. Um, but, but the big thing is really listening to, to what the seller wants. And I think that it, it, it's been interesting to see the developments, uh, the development of the sellers, uh, because two, three years ago, you know, Michal and I were selling those businesses and, and all the sellers were telling us, I just want out. I will never work with anybody else. I'm, uh, you know, it's, it's me. I became independent to be independent. And now we're seeing more and more sellers um, growing and you know they they know the potential of what they built and and they still want to remain in the business or so they're looking for interesting partners and they see these uh these great uh you know large e-commerce companies speaking with them or private equities so uh, the development is interesting and you know for us it just opens up uh many possible transactions Interesting. And we actually had someone who commented in. It's it's pretty long, so I just wanted to all oh, go ahead and just read it. Sure. Uh, from Joe on Facebook, uh, he said, the people I associate with that purchase businesses, including e-commerce companies, still feel that Amazon-only businesses are a questionable investment because of Amazon themselves. They wouldn't purchase Amazon-only businesses. They're buying Amazon businesses that have a solid off-Amazon business and a mailing list is mandatory. Amazon can and does shut down businesses. That suspension at a whim. Uh, your email list is the only true asset an e-commerce entrepreneur actually owns. And he had a couple more things, but it cuts off for myself. So, Joe, I appreciate the kind of the, the kind of uh, the comment, the narrative. When you have people who say that, is that is there a lot of truth to what Joe said? Is it Amazon or these 
these acquisitions are people are purchasing the brand, but also the operations and more of the like uh, the possible audience reach. Is that more of what they're purchasing instead of like, I built my brand and it has my face on it and like the, almost the story in the background. That's not what they're buying. They're buying more of like the hard work that I put into getting customer acquisition and the opportunity to get this audience share. Is that what they're buying? So they buy uh, an Amazon business. What you buy there is the long-term assets that uh, have been built by the seller. These would be the brand supported by um, by listings with with reviews. So as that mm -hmm. match and and also the the uh, sourcing. So your relationship with suppliers. Uh, sometimes there are also differentiated products, some innovation on the product side. So that's uh, an additional layer. But even if we refer just to the basic, uh, when we're discussing about private label businesses, then if you see an Amazon business with uh, multiple reviews, positive reviews, this is a real barrier uh, for competitors. Uh, this is a great um, starting, whatever um, point the, or, or whatever stage this business uh, is uh, is at. Uh, this is still the, the starting point for the next uh, next uh, jump uh, and and growth because you can launch additional products with uh, based on on what uh, what is there and keep keep on developing your own what uh, your existing uh, listings. Um, so thinking um, that Amazon is a re is a risk, uh, a existent existential risk that may endanger the whole existence of your business. This is always it can be always a valid concern, but uh, with the time we see that you know Amazon uh, is here to stay. It became uh, you know the uh, e-commerce arena uh, in in some uh, in big part of the world at least. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's fearing from Amazon, it uh, becomes like you, you can fear from your own banks, from your own country. Uh, some disasters can happen, but this, uh, this can, it becomes more like um, force majeure, okay? So all of us are, are uh, you know, subject to force majeure events. Uh, this is the case also with Amazon businesses. Maybe Yael has a different yeah. view. Yael, she's the expert because she's seeing uh, on a the day. The bad, the good, the bad, and the, yeah. The, yeah, <laughs> ugly. And it, yeah, yeah, I guess in that point, Yael, is it your your business, it's not, people are selling their businesses. I guess this is two points. People are selling their businesses if they're Amazon-only sellers, correct? Is that is that a true statement? Yeah, if they're, yeah they, I mean, you can sell it if you're an Amazon-only seller. There are tons of buyers for that. You can sell it if you have both. Um, you know, everybody knows that Amazon doesn't give the, the, the customer list. It's, these are not your clients, right? Uh, right? But there's an asset just like Michal has described. I mean, you a buyer comes in and it was a $5 million revenue business and you continue and you get in, in the seller's shoes and you still have this, this $5 million business now. I, you know, as Michal said, I have my own perspective. When you, when you, at the law firm, that's my second hat, right? Um, at the law firm, we deal with suspensions and we deal with suspensions of, of private label and of uh, wholesaler, resellers, dropshippers, any kind of, of seller. And I can tell you that 
you know, on my perspective, the number of private label businesses that are just completely closed or shut down where they lose their business, I don't see those. I mean, you can you can count them on probably one hand and, and that's, you know, that's that's my law firm and many, many cases come in. So they are the disasters, but in most cases there's, you know, if you're suspended, you can go back in or you can, there are, I haven't seen many sellers just, okay, I'm suspended and, you know, buy businesses going, oh, I had $5 million and now I have nothing. That's just, that doesn't happen. You find ways to come back, to, to appeal, you explain to Amazon um, and you come back. So, uh, so these are extreme cases and, and, you know, buyers are taking that into consideration when they're doing their due diligence. They need to make sure that it's a valid business, that it's not a black hat business right if it's if it's a black hat business that and all the reviews have been gained by you know paying uh the reviewers then then obviously one day you can wake up and and those uh five thousand reviews or ten thousand reviews will be zero uh but that's you know something that you usually see there's uh there's the regular rhythm the regular pace of uh of of those reviews so these are things that uh generally you see if that's extreme. Um, so, so far we haven't seen a horror story, uh, at least in, in, in those sales, but you know, I'm sure there are exceptions. Um, I just look at the general picture. Yeah. I was going to say, is there, Oh, go ahead, Mikhail. Yeah, I would just wanted to add on that. Maybe we do see in some cases that, uh, part of sellers motivation to sell their business, is because that in the back of their mind they, they you know they're afraid. That there is, yeah, they're like, there is I gotta get out. <laughs> yeah, there is some risk here, and um, it actually it's kind of a win-win because uh, from the buyer side, at least from those aggregators, it makes sense to buy as many businesses they can because then the risk is very much uh, mitigated by the diversification. Whereas for a single seller holding one or two brands. The risk, uh, obviously, is even if it's not that big, it's higher. Yeah, and uh, just reset in resetting the room, uh, or I said room. Like, <laughs> listen to me, I'm like I'm on Clubhouse for everyone who's tuning in <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> so this is what I get for listening to this on the side. For everyone who's watching on uh, social media on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, we have uh, Michal and Yael of Fortunate, and we're talking about Amazon exits in 2021. We've already had a lot of good people chiming in. Excellent talk. So we appreciate you uh, chiming uh, in. Um, a quick departure from the whole uh, exit part um, because you're both attorneys and experts in the field. We had a question come in from one of our friends of the show, somewhat off topic. Uh, Francois, he said, how can a new seller with an original design truly protect their IP uh, in the, as a caveat when sourcing from overseas factories? Is that something that you don't... To complain that this is a misuse of the participation of the elder. I know. Look at well, that. Easy, easy one. We're really going to take advantage of this insight. Let yeah. me answer. You can have a coffee. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So protecting IP when you're sourcing from uh, from foreign countries. Um, so you're selling in the U.S. Most of the sellers are selling in the U.S. Maybe you're selling in Europe. You have to focus on the country in which you sell. So, uh, so if you're sourcing from China and you're selling in the U.S., first priority is to protect 
the product uh, in the US. You also want to protect it in China for various reasons, uh, in particular to avoid others, uh, you know, kind of stealing your IP and 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 you know and and securing a registration there before you do. But the main priority is the U.S. and there are several types of protections. So there's, uh, you know, there's utility patent if that's a unique uh, invention. There's uh, design patents if it's uh, a unique shape of the product. This is very. Um, this is the protection that we see the most with uh, with Amazon sellers. If you have a, a unique design for your product, then you you want to protect the the shape of the product through a design patent. And uh, the third one is uh, a copyright um, that uh, protects graphic designs, images, um, and any of the like trademark. Most of the sellers know what a trademark is that protects uh, the brand. So there's a lot to do and to protect if you invented something. And that's, by the way, something that we discuss a lot during the, the exit. The multiples uh, take into consideration IP. If you have a unique design, if you have a unique uh, graphic design, um, if 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 your uh, if if your product is exceptional, then you should think about protecting this because buyers tell us again and again that they value uh, intellectual property. So it can be worth it can it can cost you I don't know twenty five hundred dollars to get a design patent, but then it it brings you two hundred k in the valuation. So makes sense. I was gonna say, is there is there a scale like that will say? Hey, this is just another asset that when they when they put it into your you know laundry list of things that you're looking to exit from, this will add incremental value by this much. Is there is there a typical? It just really depends, right? How if you have yeah. this sort of protection, how much that can uh, give you later down down the road? There's no specific number. Uh, I don't know if you're hearing my kids screaming okay. in the background. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what working from home is all about, right? Just well, making sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there is no fire. Don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't, don't Just let us know me. if you need a run somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so there's no number for uh, you know IP or any specific uh, asset, but but we see we just see the difference, and it may bring just more buyers bidding on that business. So a business, you know, without it can get, I don't know, 15 offers. And then that one with uh, with IP, suddenly we see we see many more offers and, and it gets them more excited because they have, you know, they can prevent others from from using your uh, your product, basically. Um, so that that brings a lot of value. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, Francois actually had a follow up and he said, is patent just giving you the right to sue? Um, most sellers often don't have money for litigation. No, that, so you that, have you, yeah. you have Amazon. Amazon is uh, is an easy platform. You go on just Google uh, complaint infringement Amazon, and you'll see the complaint form. It takes two minutes to to file it. So you put your design patent number and you put the the link of the infringer. Five minutes later, you're done. You submit. Two hours later, uh, the the infringer is gone. So that, I mean, today you don't need heavy uh, legal costs to enforce on Amazon. Interesting. That, I mean, that's a good tip to take away from there. It just, it's an easy to help people. Uh, I, you mentioned uh, Chinese sellers and we have a lot of international sellers um, that are listening to this. 
where is majority of people who are exiting their business? Is it United States sellers? Is it European sellers? Where's the majority of sellers who are who are really exiting their business? And then I also kind of want to highlight how people in China are exiting businesses as well. Like I would, I would love to get your input on both. So where are majority of people exiting their business? Are they located in the United States or just really combination all over the world? So uh, I, we believe that it's a combination of all over the world. Um, naturally, there are more US-based uh, Amazon sellers, but we see, uh, you know, our clients are from Israel, US and Europe. So it's all over. Uh, Chinese sellers without, uh, you know, uh, making any defamation uh, are sometimes um, suspected as uh, conducting more black hat tactics. So this is something that uh, raises some concern. Uh, but as much as uh, there is a good, healthy uh, Amazon business owned by a Chinese seller, this is a valid business like any other business. And mm -hmm. we see more and more such businesses. So um, is, is there is there a place in the world that's difficult to conduct like an exit? Like if you're a business owner in like you said, we said China, but like if you're in a certain country or operate in a certain marketplace, is it more difficult to make an exit or no, that's not the case? It is more difficult to, to transfer um, Amazon um, European accounts just because of the procedure that is uh, related to it. But as of the business itself, since, uh, since these are in many cases are asset deals, then it is less dependent on the local performance of the of the legal local performance of the operator operator it doesn't matter whether he paid the tax in lithuania or uh, germany or israel or us or whatever um or uh, or any other thing as long as the assets that uh, are being uh, handed over can can are traceable and uh, and in due diligence you find out that everything is okay and you are able to track uh, uh to track um expenses sometimes this may be a challenge uh if uh you know local laws do not dictate uh, upon a seller to to conduct to, to keep on maintain a, a very clear in uh books and 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 the track record of the expenses then it may be difficult to retrieve those when you want to exit and uh to have your business uh uh, scrutinized under due diligence. But apart from that, there shouldn't be any issue with selling any business. What's a, what's a clean book look like? Because that phrase comes up so much. And when people say clean books, obviously that means numbers work in, they, they make sense, right? There's not, there's not $100,000 missing, like from where you're operating, like in terms of revenue, and then it just doesn't equate. What, what does clean, clean books look like for both of you? It's not so much about clean books, I think. It's about clean ways of operating the business. Uh, you need uh, to phrase better. Yeah, <laughs> doing no, business legitimately. Yeah, exactly. So, so first of all, it's more about how you you manage your Amazon business. When we're when we're focusing on Amazon accounts, then again, how the reviews have been uh, obtained and what haven't, how, how compliant the seller is with Amazon terms of sales. That, uh, in short, this is, uh, this is a very important thing. Uh, as much as your uh, seller performance is more remote from the terms of sales, it means that the business is at, uh, is at a higher risk. 
and this decreases the value. Um, in addition to that, it is very important to be able to track expenses um, very accurately. So for that purpose, once a buyer conducted due diligence over a business, they would ask to see uh, bank statements, uh, credit card reports, PayPal, whatever, um, to, to really track uh, any money that went out of the business, as well as to get uh, invoices from suppliers and, uh, and all service providers to the business. So as long as everything is in place, um, there shouldn't be an issue. Many times we see sellers that, that are great sellers, great business operators, but since these are moms and pap shops, actually these are not, not moms and paps, these are, I don't know, boy, boy and girls shop, these are usually young people, but since these are, you know, self-made uh, self uh, businesses, many times they don't have uh, well-prepared and organized books, uh, and we help we help them, we prepare the financials for them. And again, as long as they operate the business reasonably, preparing financials out of the existing uh, documents is, is a doable um, mission. Yeah, yeah. we just said, I mean, a lot of uh, the sellers are very concerned about that because on every webinar and every uh, blog they see talking about, you need to have clean, prepared books. and. I think that uh, I, I honestly think that this is something that you know you can prepare even if you're not that prepared you know as long as you have someone working with you it's it's a work of uh, a month you know three weeks and we're done with that so don't, don't worry about that you can still exit even if you don't have clean books and you're not you don't have an accountant on a retainer it is advisable to have it is advisable to have to run the business to run the business according yeah. in, in a transparent manner in to, to create your own visibility over your business so having uh, good and clean financials will allow you to understand where your money goes to uh, sometimes by preparing the financials only uh, many insights can be can can be obtained on the business, and these these themselves create a room for improvement and adjustments of the business. So this is advisable in any case. Right. Uh, you don't want to get to you and like present your numbers, and you're thinking, "Hey, my business is worth this much." And you're like, "Actually, if you looked at your numbers closer, this, it's actually this." <laughs> this happens. This happens. Usually, in most cases, sellers think that uh, the profit is higher than it actually is. But uh, you know, to give an example of of, of what Michal said, the the preparation of the P and L, the detailed one that shows exactly where the money goes every month. Um, it, it, it helps. So sometimes, you know, we have cases where we started the process early. We, we like to get into the, the, the process early because we see that, you know, we bring value. The, the earlier we're there, it, it takes up the, the really at the end, the value of the exit. So we had a case where, um, you know, we came in uh, about a year before the exit and we prepared the PL and it showed immediately that. Uh, the profit is quite low, and that's because of the PPC. And so, some, it's not. It, it's just we see businesses again and again. And when something is is not regular, when something is wrong, it comes out immediately of that PNL. So we showed it to the sellers, and we worked with the seller, and the profit went up. You know, the, he sat for three days with uh, with our third partners, and they changed the PPC. The the 
the profit went up from 18 to 26 percent um, and that was because he saw the numbers he understood where he is he, he saw where the problem was and he fixed it and we had time so you know we could uh, he could enjoy the you know the the consequences from from that change but uh, but the numbers knowing the numbers really helps running the business in general regardless of, of an exit I was going to say, do you find this, uh, and I know we're coming up on the top of the hour, just a few more questions for both of you, if that's okay. Um, do you find this more as a, everyone should go through it for more business practices to understand, like, just have another set of eyeballs on your business to make sure that you're running efficiently, effectively. You almost sound like, apart from helping people facilitate exits, you're almost like business consultants and say, hey, idiot, do you realize how much you're spending on PPC? Why don't you like tweak those numbers? You'll become more profitable, which thus makes you a better business. Is that, you know, in better terms, like that? that's just a quick way to rephrase that. But do you find yourself more business consultants than exit absolutely. strategists more so? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we are business consultants that are getting into the picture when a seller considers to sell the business. Uh, as soon as we start, uh, as much as we start the process earlier, the impact and benefit from our services is greater. Uh, in our case, specifically for Fortunate, you know, we have on, on board, we have uh, the Amazon, Amazon thorough understanding with the Yael vast experience in that. We have uh, uh, lots of financial expertise, M&A expertise. Uh, legal expertise and uh, with all of that we can contribute and, and of course we have the, uh, the, the accumulated experience and uh, acquaintance with different businesses on the Amazon space that gives us I think a very broad perspective uh, so with that when we come uh, and dig into a business we find out that we have a lot to contribute and we are happy to see that this is paying off uh, we like the work uh, with the sellers around that, and we and and part of our service is to to consult the business um, on its operation, and also to decide together on the strategy around selling, and and those things are related one to another. Uh, you have to know, you have to decide when is the right time to sell, and this decision cannot be made without uh, deep understanding of your business and its projection, and you need to decide what is the right strategy for for your exit and here again you must uh, you must know the business very well so this is uh, absolutely part of part of our job yeah will yeah right yeah i mean i would say that you know having someone looking at your business in general coming from the outside and looking at your business and and even you know on my business on 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 the law firm i you know brought someone who interviewed the employees who looked at where you know money goes expenses that was very helpful um and 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 michal as well when she worked in that uh, large corporation they did that as well any corporation when you bring experts that look at the business from the outside and and kind of point out things that come out of the numbers even just starting with the numbers um that that can be helpful uh in general i'm sure if you'll do the same the same thing will happen whatever business it is I love that. And then uh, quickly before the top of the hour, because I know you two are really busy, uh, David Carroll wanted to say hi to both of you. And also, uh, the quickly, if you could go over the risks and best practices of transferring and seller central account from buyer <laughs> to seller. 
Hey, David. Hi, David. Um, <laughs> so risk of transferring, uh, I'll just say quickly. So there is a difference between uh, a U.S. account and a European account. Uh, for, for U.S. accounts, what most buyers do is they ask for Amazon's permission. Very important. Without the permission, you're not allowed to transfer uh, an Amazon business. So uh, the buyers ask for the permission and they do it step by step, working with Amazon on, on that transfer. In Europe, I find it uh, a very difficult process. Amazon allows it, but not really. You have a button where you can press and ask to, to transfer it, but then you go through verification of the new entity and you have to present documents very often. So that's a difficult process. So what most buyers do is that they, um, they transfer the listings to their own account in Europe. So they kind of jump in, you know, they, they let the seller sell out the goods and they jump in on that listing from, from their account and they continue to sell once, once the seller finished and they transfer the brand registry. That's what most uh, buyers do for Europe. Awesome. And I, I, that, that's, that's all fantastic information. I'm sure we can go and deep dive into more information, but uh, for, for Fortunate or for both uh, either you, Mikhail, or UEIL, where are the best places to for people to reach out to you if they have questions? Uh, we put your website in the show notes below and then also your LinkedIn uh, profiles and links to that. Is there any other place where they should reach out to you or just inquire about business or just have questions? Yeah, I mean, uh, the website or email, yael at fortunate.net or michal at fortunate.net. That's amazing. And, and uh, quickly, where did the uh, name Fortunate uh, come from. Uh, so, uh, so it took us about six months to find it. Uh, so every time I was uh, suggesting a name and she hated it and then she suggested a name and I hated it. And then we said so something, I said something but around fortune. All, but yeah, first of all, do you like the name, Ryan? I love it. I, I love the name. No, I mean, so when okay. I search for it, okay, so for searching for it, Google wants it to change to something else, but yeah. that's just me. I think fortunate is really cool because I obviously think when you're exiting a business, you are fortunate to be in the space that you're in and you're fortunate to exit or to receive, you know, a payout. And so a that's, that's why. And yeah, it's a, for right. or a fortune. Exactly. Right. So it came from fortune. And then Michal said, well, why not combining it with internet and like fortunate? So I love uh, it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> awesome. And then, and yeah, I was gonna say, do you, do you think that this is a space that will continue to to kind of grow as time, or do you think like there will be this this quick growth, and then people almost kind of either partner up or team up, or you'll see other ones drop off the map? Because I feel like there's this really big growth of you know brokers, sellers, you know, aggregators, things like that. Do you think everyone will kind of like resettle out and and find a baseline again, or will continue just to elevate? I think that uh, good uh, and strong will survive. Uh, it's really a matter about educating uh, sellers uh, of the importance of this uh, service uh, around selling their business. And once they are well educated, they will be also able to choose between the different uh, offerings that are in the space. Um, we think that this is a crucial, uh, crucial service to the to the. Uh, to the process, you know, if you will, if you were uh, a CEO of a Fortune uh, 500 company and you want to sell the for the company, you take an investment banker. So if you are a seller, you know, Amazon seller with a business worth of uh, 10, 20, 50, 75 million dollars, you shouldn't sell uh, your business by yourself as well. 
so we believe that uh, that we are sitting on a highly important uh, um, uh, place. Uh, yeah, and uh, and that uh, that as much as as long as we keep on uh, providing good services, uh, the demand will be there. Yeah. Uh, I, I I'd say you know just to finish, I think that this industry is gonna be. Uh, bigger and smarter. Uh, the transactions are going to be more interested, uh, interesting as we see now, just more possibilities, uh, more buyers, uh, more different kind of buyers um, and, and different needs. Uh, that's what we're going to see. I think that sellers hear more and more about this area and they become educated with time and, uh, and uh, as I said, smarter and, and larger. Well, I'm very fortunate. Look at that. See, I play, had to play yeah. on the name. <laughs> to have both of you on today, this is fantastic stuff. And and I, I'm super appreciative to have your insights to share on this show for everyone who is listening live and will listen to this later. Um, again, for everyone, check out Yael and Michal on fortunate.net. Uh, and again, um, make sure that you're going to their website to ask more information or just uh, send a general inquiry. Thank you so much, ladies, for hopping on today and sharing your insights on the show. Thank, Thank you. you. It was fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you hold on right there, uh, I'll make sure I chat with you afterwards. But for everyone who is uh, new to the show, if this is your first episode or uh, this is uh, your 78th episode, we appreciate you joining us live on Crossover Commerce. Again, I'm Ryan Kramer. I go live about four to five times per week. This week we have more. Uh, we'll go live four times. Next uh, Tomorrow we'll have uh, Paul from MerchantSpring.io out in Australia. He has a very omni-channel a tool that helps sellers sell in multiple different marketplaces. So we'll dive into that. Uh, we'll have Matt from PPC Entourage talk a little bit about marketing and social content. And then uh, Sean from KickFurther will talk about how to free uh, how to free up tied up funds and reinvest back into your business from KickFurther. That'll be on Friday. So definitely tune in every single day if you follow us on social media. Go ahead and check out Crossover Commerce with Ryan Kramer on Facebook, or you can connect with us in various different ways. But for both of the ladies that joined us today, I'm Ryan Kramer. Thanks for joining us, uh, and we'll catch you on another, uh, another episode of Crossover Commerce in the future. Take care.